Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Whole Whale Podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies to make a difference in the social impact world. My name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale, and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. Today on the pod, we have Laquita Chancy, founder and director of Smaltimore Homes. So thanks for joining us, Laquita. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and have a conversation with you all. Yeah. Fun fact, Laquita and I met on um, our Captain's Roundtable after some webinars and she just kept coming back, <laughs> learning more. Can't get talking. rid of me now. Can't get rid of me now. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just dive right in. So you're the founder and director of Smaltimore Homes. Can you tell us a little bit more about your organization and the work that you do there? Yeah, so short and sweet, Baltimore Homes is an affordable housing nonprofit, and we build micro shelters and tiny homes for people who are experiencing homelessness right here in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, The longer vision is addressing redlining, addressing blight, addressing um, inequities in those redlined communities, um, building smart, tiny home communities for people that need the resources. Yeah, that's amazing. And can you explain what a tiny home is? (laughs) Yeah, so if you see behind me, you can see that there's two lofts, um, a little kitchenette, a little um, bathroom, and a couch. So this is the tiny home that Mm -hmm. I designed um, back in like 2016, 2017. Um, And then I kept making some tweaks. In 2018, Smaltimore Homes was launched, and I was like, well, I guess I got to start building that tiny home, and I started building it, and really quickly, I realized this wasn't a business model that I'd be able to keep up with, but I had already made the investment, so it's like, well, let's make it cute and sexy, so this one was made with the idea of Airbnb, Mm. Therefore, that couch pulls out to be a full-size bed. Mm. There's a full-size bed above the kitchenette and a king-size bed will fit above the bathroom. Wow, yeah. And like approximately how many square feet are these homes? Yeah, so this um, particular unit with the lofts included is 264 square feet. Oh, wow. And then if you didn't count the lofts, it would just be um, the ground floor, which would be a hundred and. 60, 160 square feet. It's a 20 foot trailer on an eight foot, um, eight foot wide. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's small, but it looks really good. If you guys are watching on YouTube, like you can see that this looks great. Like I book on Airbnb if you ask me. (laughs) Yeah. And so the cool thing about it is this is actually an older version. Like I don't have the, um, the medicine cabinet, the storage that's mm-hmm. underneath the couch isn't there, like the the nicer um, couch cushions. Mm-hmm. So it's she's even cuter now. So yeah, look her up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I know you were mentioning earlier that kind of the larger goal of Smaltimore home, Homes is to kind of combat redlining, homelessness, and things like that. Can you explain a little bit more um, what those mean, particularly in the context of Baltimore? Oh yeah, for sure. So redlining is um, basically um, the legal practices of the federal government and local government and urban planning kind of conspiring together to, um, you know, devalue and uh, 
reduced resources in communities where Black families were being housed. Mm -hmm. And so literally on a map, they drew a red line and was like, you know what? Don't lend to these folks. Don't go in these communities and don't let them out of here. So that was redlining. And then, you know, at some point, there was almost a confusion like, wait, do you mean just not white people? or black folks and then they added like the blue and the yellow because they were like no 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 wait you're excluding a little too many people so it's like systemic racism at its core you know and it's omni it's like still an issue today so still those communities are the same ones that have schools that have lead in the water and don't have heating and the air conditioning is broken and you know 50 percent graduation rate and so these things are directly proportionate to taxes that are paid by people that own homes and baltimore is one of those cities where you know in the 70s and the 60s we had almost twice as many people living here Mm -hmm. And now they're gone. So now their houses are still here and there's nobody to occupy them. So it's like a multitude of issues, which I just kind of ran through like the big, big ones. But it's addressing those in a very um, intentional kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that, because I've done a little research on redlining and it's like a crazy history. If you guys have time, you should definitely look it up. There are lots of videos that explain it. Um, it's it I'll tell you one thing, like if you really want to get your mind blown, look at the history of racism in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Like they were so like specific mm -hmm. and like strategic that they were like, no, I don't want you to misunderstand who we're excluding. Black people are not allowed in this state. And that thing almost lasted like until the 2000s. Like, yeah. and people were like, oh, well, we're not paying attention to that. And we're like, but, but we need it removed. Like, we don't care who's paying attention. It makes us uncomfortable. It's not cool. It's not okay. So yeah, so I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's important context because we think about systematic racism or racism as a whole as kind of these one-off things that happen on the individual level, like maybe you have a friend that's been microaggressive or you have a coworker that's a little bit racist, but it's really at this systematic level where this it's redlining- It's woven into yep. the fabric, which is why, you know, so many people are like, Trump ruined the country and he didn't make it great again. And I'm like, people were upset that Obama was in office for so long. Like mm -hmm. there are people that feel that way, unfortunately. And, you know, Trump just gave them, you know, what they needed. And as far as I'm concerned, like, I really, I would rather know than not know. So yeah. that's, that's just my perception. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but thank you again for explaining that history. Like, it's so important, especially when you think about doing that work and the the effects that nonprofits really have on people's lives. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And home ownership and generational wealth and why there's such a big generational gap. So housing is really like the root of it all, for sure. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit how kind of the pandemic and coronavirus has impacted your work and the people that you try to help? Yeah, so that's actually like my most favorite thing. Like during the pandemic, I kind of went through it, like not being able to go outside, not being able to serve people. Um, you know, it really kind of hurt my heart in a lot of different ways. So I basically pivoted from 
making the micro shelters every weekend, or I'm sorry, not every weekend, but once a month mm -hmm. at the community tool bank because they closed. They decided, you know, we don't know how to engage volunteers right now. We're going to stop, um, you know, servicing and being a venue that people can use. Mm -hmm. So I understood that and I just canceled it. And so I said, well, how do I keep my volunteers safe? So I basically partnered with a corporate um, pizza company down in Fells Point, and we began to make um, hand washing stations. So I was able to put together kits, fill them with um, hand sanitizer, uh, mask, as well as soap and other PPE and toiletries. And my volunteers were able to assemble the little um, hand washing stations and distribute them to, you know, neighborhoods that they were familiar with. And, not even neighborhoods, but we all know where an encampment is or where, you know, a group of homeless people gather. So it was um, it was really easy because, you know, I, I tell people if you're driving past the bridge, chances are someone lives under there just for trash. If there is, um, you can drop, you know, the the um, the kit off right there. Um, so we were able to pivot then. But then it was like, um, well, now we are understanding we need to wash our hands. We are using the hand sanitizer. They get it. They got it good. So now what's the next step? So what we did was instead of building five by seven shelters, which we were doing as prototypes with volunteers, we started building eight by eight shelters to replace tents for encampments that exist in Baltimore. And we did that because shelters began to operate at a smaller capacity. You mm -hmm. can't socially distance at a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. And um, it's hard for you to shelter in place at a homeless shelter. So the, the, the situation just got worse for people who were already vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's and so I'm sorry, so I'll add that now, Every Saturday, we're building with volunteers those eight by eight shelters because mm -hmm. winter's coming and that's going to be even worse. You know, that just complicates it and makes it even, you know, awful, more awful. Yeah. And Baltimore gets cold. <laughs> it's already freezing temperatures. Like, I've already went by um, a couple of the villages and, you know, had to give them tarps and things to kind of elevate their tents and. You know, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, these shelters that we're building, they're a couple thousand bucks and no, they don't have electricity, they don't have running water, but neither do tents and someone can survive a winter. So just consider it temporary, you know, just consider it temporary and, you know, try to help a cause to keep some people alive, quite frankly. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I think we may have glossed over this earlier, but I'm wondering if you could explain the homelessness um, situation in Baltimore, um, just kind of like the nuances that are specific to your city. Yeah, so Baltimore is really interesting. So in most places, they, um, they experience homelessness because there is a lack of vacancy. Mm -hmm. While Baltimore, we have thousands upon thousands of dozens of thousands of vacant homes, blighted lots, all those things. Mm. So that's not our issue. Our issue is the fact that so many people in Baltimore, really close to Baltimore City, 30% of the people live below the poverty level. Mm. And a third of those people live a third below the poverty level. So poverty in Baltimore is just like, it's really prevalent. 
Mm-hmm. And so it continues to keep people in a systemic situation where no generation really gets ahead of the one previous to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 50% graduation rate. And quite honestly, I started Small to More Homes in 2018. But in 2015, I started investing in Baltimore, like rehabbing houses, thinking I was going to make first-time homeowners. And most of the people were like, I'll pay rent. But the way Big Mama House is set up, this is going to be way too much of a burden. I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but there's insurance. There's a handyman. And people just, there was no mindset for ownership because of what we've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. So all those things in Baltimore still the foundation is redlining, you know, because now those people who bought homes in these redline communities that are still underserved, underfunded, can't repair the roof on their house. So water damage in their house, can't get the newest windows that prevent, you know, your electricity from being wasted. It's just a compounded, convoluted onion. Yeah. And I really do believe that housing is the root of it. If your housing is unstable or um, or if you don't have it, then your health is probably unstable and failing. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, We really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of compounded issues, right? And then it all goes back, like you said, to that issue of redlining and that generational trauma, that like generational wealth gap that all plays into it. Yeah, it's like you can't ignore each of the pieces. People want to, you know, silo. Well, let's just talk about and let's just talk about. And I'm like, no, no. Like it, it's still a food apartheid. It's still lacking in education. The streets still are subpar. Mm-hmm. Like why are why haven't we had you know a digital overhaul in Baltimore? So many things. <laughs> so many things. It's like hard to keep in an hour. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I'd also like to learn a little bit more about the houses that you make. You said that there's not necessarily electricity or running water or things like that, but having four walls <laughs> to cover you and a roof really is different than four sheets. Um, Hello. So yeah, so the shelters that we build, we're building them out in um, Phoenix, Maryland, which is just north of um, Timonium. Mm-hmm. And we're building them out there because we're building them in eight by four um, sheet and basically gonna assemble them like Legos at the village. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it that way because if we left those materials at the village, they may walk away. Mm-hmm. And I'll be completely honest, if the city finds out before the homes are standing up, they might be able to stop us. And that's really not, like, and I'm not trying to be like a badass or anything like that. Like people need houses and I just want them to have houses. Like by all means, Baltimore City, if you want to talk about it, 
holler at me in the spring. I'll tell you exactly where the houses are. Like winter will be over. Hopefully we'll have a vaccination and y'all will have y'all stuff together and shelters will be back at 100%. But until then, I have to be sneaky little Miss Susie and do things under the radar and, you know, build out in Timonium. And it's working out really well. I've um, gotten a grant from a few different organizations. So we've been looking into solar power. We've been looking into water filtration. Um, Life Straw has already sponsored a shelter. And if you don't know anything about them, they're really awesome. But they started off in like Africa, you know, working with um, like, West Nile water. So they're now working on lead and things that are prevalent in the US. So I'm like, this will be great for us because, you know, if we can continue to replace tents that are near urban gardens where we can install water and catchment, use solar power, you know, that'll make it so that basically they are sustaining a life that is very much like ours. You know, now you have an address, which means if you didn't have an ID before, now you can get an ID. And if you don't have an ID, you can start the process because you have an address. Mm -hmm. People don't even realize that if you don't have an address, you can't get ID from anywhere. Like they're like, so how is this going to work? Like, So you're already can't apply to a job, can't apply for benefits. You know, it's, again, a compounded onion and the the layers just go so deep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It all comes, it always comes back. It always comes back. Um, And thank you for highlighting that. Because like you said, oftentimes I think when we try to do this kind of work, we try to focus on one problem or one area of a larger problem. But all nonprofit work, all social impact work is happening as a result of these kind of systematic issues that are in place. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree. And but to your point, like housing is my thing, but people who want to volunteer have green thumbs, like li- literally and figuratively, my thumb is brown, honey. Like I need <laughs> succulents, I need cacti, I need air plants. Like she is not reviving an urban garden, but there are people out here that will, mm-hmm. and that will provide food for people in the village as well as other people in the community. Like this village is so bomb that the villagers can take showers at the yeah. community neighbors' homes yeah. and eat dinner with them. So that's how I imagine small to more homes, villages, like really um, thriving because I don't want them to be isolated and feeling as if they're, you know, some sort of spectacle because that's not cool either, you know? I'm wondering if you have, if you're, if that's kind of appropriate to say, but like kind of a favorite story with someone that you've worked with and how your work has affected their life. Yeah, I mean, It's really weird because I started working with people experiencing homelessness before I started Small to More Homes. So I've seen like families that have been on the street and, you know, consistently with specific shelters and maintaining their services. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a family of young ladies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a mother and five girls. And Mm -hmm. now... 
you know, one of the girls has had her own child, has mm-hmm. matriculated through, you know, grade school, middle school, high school. But it's just crazy to imagine, like, being a woman on the street, experiencing homelessness every month. Like, I have a whole house, a whole bathroom, a whole pantry, a whole, and it is still like, Dag, I got to deal with this thing every single month. And now it's you and your multiple girls that are going, I just can't imagine. So just seeing, thinking through and experiencing things like that, you know, I partner with other organizations to open a period pantry, feminine hygiene, and address those things because you have to think. Now that somebody maybe even making a decision, do I eat or do I not have bloodstained pants? Because that's really what it comes down to sometimes, you know? And so knowing that this can impact those kinds of people and that if Baltimore City would adopt um, accepting eight by eight shelters with solar power and water filtration. And some of these tent encampments already have porta potties. You know what I mean? So they're already figuring out what to do with human waste because if not, that's a a, a public health issue. So for more reasons than one, homelessness needs to be addressed and impacting and watching lives matriculate through this thing and survive Mm -hmm. and how this can potentially help somebody is like really cool you know like knowing that the five by seven was way too small for this particular family but what if baltimore city said okay so two people can stay in the eight by eight so a daughter and her kid the mom and the youngest kid you know, the two middle, we could figure it out. And then there's a community that supports them. And, you know, everybody kind of benefits from it. Yeah, definitely. I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit from talking about the amazing work that you do, like in the community and how it affects people to the actual work that you do within your organization. I've known Laquita for a very short period of time, but if there's something I know about her is that she will get the work done. So do you have any tips for smaller organizations? Um, I'm not sure how many people work with you, but kind of working in terms of like partnerships is something that you've mentioned or um, kind of getting the word out there, having an email list, things like that. Right, right. So yeah, so for me, I was super fortunate to have... um, had a computer science degree. So everything that I do is very much automated. One of the first things I did, I had a website before I had an Instagram page, just because that's how my mind works. You know what I mean? So I wanted to already, I already knew, like you said, capture emails. I can't capture emails on Instagram. I'm capturing followers. So I was immediately, you know, of the mindset, go ahead and create an Instagram page, but direct them to the website. So I created my website, just a splash page. um, And just over time, it grew. Um, I applied for my nonprofit license, like in business and all that, like in February. And I think by the end of March, I found out I was approved. So I just needed to know, like, to me, it was like, oh, well, now the website needs to be ready because we need to have an event because now we can really collect money. Mm -hmm. So what my, I guess, what my immediate advice is, if you are just starting out, 
just volunteer. Like that starts your track record once you want to um, apply for your nonprofit license. Like you're already in the street, you're doing it. You're volunteering with people. And you get to see if there's already an organization that is doing what you think you should be doing. And maybe instead of replicating that, you'll fill a hole and you can start a partnership with them. So that leads to fiscal sponsorships, that leads to um, being able to accept money from them to your organization, getting support, and filling a gap that you recognize that they have that they might not even care about. They might recognize that that's a gap, but they don't have the capacity. So again, doing the work, by volunteering, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Finding an organization that is aligned with what you think you wanna do, see if you can fill their gap before starting your organization. Nobody was doing this. Therefore, small to more homes exist, you know? And then if you need help with, you know, website design or any of that kind of stuff, I can, I'm, like I said, I'm IT, I'm help desk, go to smalltomorehomes.org and, you know, shoot me a message. Let it, let me know that Carisha sent you or Hopewell <laughs> sent you and we'll figure something out. Yeah, I love that. So you hear that first here. Um, yeah, thanks, Laquita. That, like, Like I said, I've known you for a very short amount of time, but if there's something I know about you, you are at these webinars, you are at these captain's round table. And every time you're there, you're like, okay, so like, what do you do? Like, how can we work together? Um, Yeah, I mean, it really cuts down on what I have to worry about. It spreads the word even faster. It's free marketing. It's just like, it makes it easy. Like so many times people are like, oh my God, I want to throw an event, but I don't know who's going to be there. And it's like, oh my God, I can totally support that event, but I can't throw nothing, but I will post it. I will put it on my website, put it in my newsletter. Who cares? Like people need help. And if I can manage that, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that concludes our main portion. Um, I'm like, I love hearing about the work that you do, the way that you explain it and how you're really like almost a one person show, right? Like you do the work. It's really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of easier that way. Like I do try to, um, I have a couple of interns. I have Mm -hmm. some dedicated board members, some volunteers that help all the time, but quite frankly, like coordinating with other people and knowing that you're not paying people, it's hard to get a hardcore commitment every single time you need it. So sometimes it's just easier for me to just get stuff done myself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, But yeah, thank you again. We're not done though. We have our rapid fire round, which I'm always really excited for if you listen to the show. Um, It's really me just asking you 10 questions just to get to know a little bit more about you, the work that you do, and maybe some things you weren't able to cover in the main portion. Um, 30 seconds or less to answer, but no pressure. Um, so are you ready to start? I think so. Okay, cool. What's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Oh, um, TechSoup. Oh my God, they are so good, TechSoup. So they're like um, a technology website. They do free webinars. They have discounts, TechSoup, and they're free. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we love TechSoup too. We work with them all the time. They are great. Are there any tech issues you're battling with right now? Um, tech issues? 
No, I'm pretty good at figuring them out, but really I think it's just like always a time thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm even though I can figure it out, it takes me a long time because this isn't my lane. So yeah, maybe if I could um, hire some marketing stuff. What do you got? We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk off the record, off the right. record. <laughs> uh, what's coming in the next year that has you most excited? So in the next year, I will be um, working with a bunch of different organizations on um, virtual after-school programming. Mm -hmm. I started reading to some kids, um, teaching them about homelessness through the Three Little Pigs. So I'm excited to implement that program. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I never would have put together the Three Little Pigs and homelessness. So that's good, right? I see you. Can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Yeah, underestimating my value. Mm. Like, really not realizing that I'm the secret sauce, bro. Like, and I don't have to rush any of this, regardless of who I thought I wanted to work with. Mm. Um, You know, Baltimore homes and eradicating homelessness is my vision. And for the people that don't see it, it's okay. Yeah. So trying to make everybody see the vision was a mistake. Don't do that. Yeah. Good advice. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially those that engage the community and other NGOs that are, you know, in the same silo rather than trying to save the world all by themselves. I do believe that those combined resources, you know, help us to form like a transformer. Yeah, yeah. I love that answer. I've asked this question a few times, and I think that's probably one of my favorite ones. When you can combine forces, I think that's a successful way to go out of business. Yeah, for sure. Let's say you had a hot tub time machine that takes you back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? In my life in general, I procrastinate a lot. Um, I procrastinate with the things that I just have no interest in doing. But the things that I want to do, you know, I'm about that action boss. Like, let's get started. So I would have not procrastinated on some of the beginner paperwork Mm. so that my budget could have been much bigger like now. Yeah, that's good advice, <laughs> especially if it means your budget will will expand. Yeah, like, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. What's something you think you or your organization should stop doing? I don't know. I don't know. What should we stop doing? I think we should stop minimizing um, some of the work that we do by always talking about the impact that we're having. Like a lot of people are out here doing the work every day, every weekend, every, every, every. And because they don't have time to update social media or put out a blog or whatever, that stuff is getting missed. So just having open conversations about it so that the whispers continue. And let's say you had a Harry Potter wand for the industry, your industry, what would it do? Ooh, it would totally create equity among the, the uh, industry because of nonprofits are no different than systemic racism. Like more money goes to white organizations, more money goes to, you know, white men in general. And quite frankly, to some degree, we don't 
you know, become official as soon as we can. And so we miss out on things, but we're out here doing the work and somebody needs to recognize it. So I would recognize the work of all the people, regardless of their tax status. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good wish. (laughs) What's your favorite question to ask an organization or board member? It's kind of a two-parter. Like usually I start out with how did you find out about the initiative, Mm -hmm. but how are we going to work together? Like I, that's one of my first questions, like, Hey, you reached out, like, what's up? I'm not just here to talk to you about nothing. Like, are we going to do a podcast? Are we going to host an event together? Mm -hmm. Fundraiser? Like, cause if you don't have any ideas, I don't have time to talk to you at this moment. How did you get started in the social impact space? It's always been a part of, I can tell I'm frozen again, but I know you hear me. Um, It's always been a part of what I was doing. I was a Girl Scout. I was a brownie, a 4-H girl. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to Spelman, where school was service. My mother was an addiction counselor. You know what I mean? I was just always around helping people. So it's really just a part of my nature. Yeah. Shout out to the HBCUs. (laughs) What's a piece of your advice or what's a piece of advice your parents gave that you did or did not follow? So I wouldn't say it's really a piece of advice, but they kind of tricked me into making me think I can do anything. Mm. And so it just kind of followed me through like the world. Like, although You know, my father is six foot four and, you know, three times my weight. He's like, listen, if I can do it, you can do it. And I just have to figure out like how to leverage what I knew so that I could do exactly what he was doing. Yeah, definitely. And my last and probably my favorite question is what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? Um, Intern, volunteer, holler at your girl, like reach out, um, all types of colleges, high schools, um, everybody needs help. And one great resource is collectively um, ran by a good friend, Jamie. Um, Collectively is a great resource to start looking at um, different nonprofit um, organizations and organizations that are just out here actually doing the work. Oh, awesome. Well, that concludes our rapid fire round. Um, Thanks for participating. I don't know how rapidly it was fired because this Zoom is totally throwing me off. I'm so sorry. No, it's no problem. I think technology will always do something. It's like they could smell urgency. You know what I mean? Uh, It's killing me, bro. It's killing me. It's no worries. No worries at all. Cool. Well, that concludes our episode. Where can people find you? Yeah, so smallsmorehomes.org or smallsmorehomes on all the different um, social medias. I'm new to Clubhouse, so find me at uh, smallsmorehomes on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a Talk Tiny Tuesday show there. Oh. So yeah, um, but I'm everywhere. So Facebook, the Instagram, the, the interwebs, all of them. Awesome. And thank you again for coming on the show. Um, If you're listening, you should definitely check out the work that Laquita is doing because somebody needs to do it and she's definitely doing the things. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. 
This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 